0: Welcome to Ramblings with a Medical Historian. I'm your host, Nicole Curry, and this is the podcast where I ramble on about the history of medicine, such as fun facts, common misconceptions, and strange practices. I may even talk about other historical topics, such as local history. episode 2. I would first like to say I'm sorry this is coming out so late. Work has been absolutely crazy and then with everything that's going on with COVID well probably don't have to really explain but anyway sorry. Okay let's get into it. In the last episode we looked at how the barber surgeons are commonly described. In my thesis, I discovered that secondary and tertiary sources have created a somewhat false narrative about the barber-surgeons. Just for a little bit more information, secondary sources interpret, discuss, analyze, and describe primary sources, which are original documents of firsthand accounts tertiary sources summarize or synthesize secondary sources. The first inconsistency that I came across was that the Barber Surgeon's Company was established in 1540 and did not exist before then. However, I came across a document entitled The Rules of the Barber Surgeon's Company Instituted 1442. That's pretty much 100 years earlier, so why is this document saying something else? So I decided to try and unravel the history of the barber surgeons and their company. And I thought, where better to begin than at the beginning? The last episode we discovered the narrative that barber surgeons began around 1000 CE, Common Era. Or, according to another article, around 1200 CE, there was always a connection to the monasteries as well. So here is what I discovered in my thesis. Among the secondary sources, a somewhat clear narrative prevails. According to most secondary sources, medicine was in the hands of the church for most of the early middle ages. Or. Dark Ages, if you will. However, Dark Ages is not the right term for this period, as it was anything but dark. Two reasons why the church gave up medicine and left it in the hands of the barbers were 1. Ecclesia abhorret a sanguini, and 2. The church banned medicine. The former is the most popular narrative among secondary sources. The phrase Ecclesia abhorret a sanguine, literally translates to the Church abhors blood. This phrase is used throughout secondary sources to say that the Church could not shed blood, and also that they did not want to shed blood. It was either used to refer to the whole Church or only specific clergy. A quote from. One secondary source states: A priest who has shed blood was officially debarred from the higher offices of the church, and a papal decree ordered the clergy not to undertake any surgery, and this was reinforced by the 10th Lateran. Council in 1215. I later found out in my research that there was no such thing as the 10th Lateran Council in 1215. It was actually the 4th Lateran Council. It was probably a misquote. They probably were referring to the 4th Lateran Council in 1215. Other secondary sources said things like for the clergy forbidden by the church to shed blood abandoned the practice of surgery to barbers who were employed to shave and leash the priests and ecclesiastics had been forbidden by the church to shed blood as well as the barbers used to assist the monks to perform operations but after the edict of tours in 1163 forbade the priests to shed blood. It is probable the barbers assumed a much larger share of surgical work. Those who favor the narrative that the church banned medicine Say, the Fourth Lateran Council of 1215 prohibited those in major orders from practicing surgery, at the same time restricting many clerics from leaving their posts for the purpose of studying medicine. Or, an edict was issued from the papal chair forbidding the pursuit of medicine by the clergy. Now, to unravel the mess and search the primary sources to clean up the narrative. I tried to find the source of the phrase Ecclesia Abhoret sanguine and prove that the church really did abhor blood, as well as proving that the church did ban medicine. The former refers more to the practice of surgery, whereas the latter refers to the study and practice of medicine. I examined the first, second, and fourth laddering councils, as well as the Council of Tours, all of which were referred to at one point by the secondary sources. The Lattering councils are general councils that affect the whole church, whereas the Council of Tours is a regional council, only affecting the area of Tours. The First and Second Lateran Councils were supposed to have forbade the clergy from practicing medicine. I have only found a few restrictions made in the First Lateran Council and then reinforced in the Second Lateran Council. The First Lateran Council in Canon 17 forbade abbots and monks to visit the sick and a few other public religious things. So basically it was saying that the abbots and monks had to stay in their cloisters. The Second Lateran Council in Canon 9 forbade monks and canons regular from studying law and medicine instead of dedicating their time to the church. They ignored the souls in favor of a handful of money. To heal the body. Bishops, abbots, and priors who continued to study law and medicine or became physicians shall be deprived of their honors and cut off from the church. Basically, it was referring to only the monks and canons regular, and saying that they wanted them to spend their time on the church rather than pursuing other things. So that's basically your boss telling you to not do personal things on work time. Now, there are different translations of these documents, however, if they are not correctly translated, there can be different meanings and wordings. So unless you know how to read Latin, you have to carefully examine the translations, the more the better, to get a picture of what the text is actually saying. The Council of Tours in 1163 was a very difficult document to find. I was finally able to find it, and Canon 8 says that the religious are to avoid secular studies. It was decreed that no one at all who has taken up a vow of religion and after which has been installed in a religious institution is permitted to leave it to study the worldly laws of physical nature. If they leave their cloister and have not returned within two months, they are to be avoided by all as if excommunicated. This is basically saying the same thing as the Second Lateran Council. So basically it is saying the same thing as the Second Lateran Council. And the Second Lateran Council was even hinting at the fact that they had already issued these orders to stop studying and practicing medicine and and it continued to be an issue thus the council of tours even addressing it as well the fourth lateran council in 1215 is said to be one of the most prominent legislations from the middle ages until the renaissance canon 18 has two translations One reads, no cleric may decree or pronounce a sentence involving the shedding of blood or carry out a punishment involving the same or be present when such a punishment is carried out. The other reads, no cleric may pronounce a sentence of death or execute such a sentence or be present at its execution. The only difference here is the first refers to the shedding of blood and the second is refers to pronouncing a sentence of death. So here we can see how if sources are not properly translated it can be an issue. Looking at both of these documents it is now up to you, the historian, to either go and find the original latin text and translate it for yourself or you have to examine both of these translations and make your own determinations. Myself, I think it could be warning them against surgery in case a patient died. The church did not want that death on their hands. The text goes on to say that subdeacons, deacons, or priests were not allowed to practice surgery, which involved cauterization or cutting. After examining these primary sources, I uncovered a new narrative. Instead of the church abandoning medicine, either by prohibiting the shedding of blood or banning medicine, the church only banned specific clergy from practicing surgery or studying medicine. So, one, they didn't want those clergy to waste their time outside of church, or two, they didn't want them to have a patient's death on their hands. But where did the phrase Ecclesia abhorred a sanguine, or the church abhors blood, come from? I couldn't find it in any primary source, and most secondary sources didn't properly cite where they got this phrase from. One source finally linked its origins to Quesnay, the uncritical historian of the Faculty of Surgeons at Paris, who, in 1774, citing a passage from Pasquier's Recherche de la France said, et comme l'église n'a pas rien tant que la sang, he translated this into latin and put it in italics, and that seems to be where the origins of the phrase developed. A misquote from a secondary source, and then all other secondary sources using this misquote, until it and becomes the general narrative. So basically Pasquier was saying and as the church abhors nothing as much as blood so it's sort of saying that yes the church abhors blood Pasquet, we don't even know if he was quoting a primary source or if he was making his own generalizations, as I was unable to find this text. So, Quesnay took that phrase from Pasquet, translated it into latin, put it in italics so that it seems more legitimate and then everybody else began to quote and use Quesnay's phrase until the point it developed its own mythos. With all this untangled, I was finally able to begin to see how the barber surgeons emerged. As the church moved away from medicine and surgery gap opened up and it is there that secondary sources say that the barber surgeons developed so priests and monks had their servants the barbers that they began to train in the practice of surgery as they were no longer allowed to practice these tasks though they recognized the need of surgeons now I could not find any primary sources to either dispute this or support it. Therefore it seems that this is the point at which the barbers began and how they began. So I will continue the story of the barbers surgeons in the next episode. I will try to have it out sooner. Hopefully life and work will cooperate and allow me to get it out on time. So stay tuned. You can follow Ramblings with a medical historian on Instagram and Facebook. If you search that name, you can email me at ramblings.mh at gmail.com. You can find the links for all of these in the description below, as well I have listed the sources I used for my research. Thanks for listening, and keep rambling on.